Well, good morning, everyone. Um, for those of you who might not know it, uh, perhaps you're a guest with us. My name is Thomas. I'm one of the pastors here with the church, and uh, I uh, have the chance to preach about once a month. And as I've been doing that lately, um, if you've been around a bit, we've been working through the book of Ecclesiastes. And so we're actually going to keep on uh, going there with Ecclesiastes. So if you have your Bible with you, you can open up to Ecclesiastes chapter 9. Uh, And if you happen not to have a Bible, you can raise your hand and we'll make sure you get one. Um, But we're going to continue on the end of chapter 9. And we're going to go all the way through chapter 10 today. And so you can... Open up your Bibles and and be ready to go there. Uh, We will be reading from there in just a few minutes. Um, I should say on the front end here too, please excuse me if I've got some sniffles or I I need to excuse myself to turn and cough or something. Uh, I have had pneumonia for over a month and I'm I'm about a week into recovery, I think. So uh, we're good to go, but I have the occasional cough. So please bear with me in that regard. Um, All right. Well, you've probably heard some of these, uh, these sayings. Uh, These are out and about, and I'm sure you've used some of these before. Work smarter, not harder. Heard that? Uh, Think before you act. Uh, Think before you speak. Um, Patience is a virtue. Or fools rush in. Uh, One bad apple spoils the whole bunch. You've heard these kinds of sayings before. You use these sayings, probably. And uh, all of these little sayings, you know, what are they for? Well, they're meant to... They're meant to help us along. They're meant to, meant to uh, give us maybe a little bit of wisdom for life, give us uh, sort of tips for uh, living well, maybe, maybe highlight, uh, maybe give us a, a warning perhaps of some of the dangers of, uh, of folly. And um, with this section of Ecclesiastes that we're going to get into here, we really get this kind of sentiment uh, put to us in this section. The writer is very concerned about wisdom, and uh, wisdom contrasted with folly. And, he, and the clear sentiment uh, for, for him and with regard to his readers would be that we would value wisdom, that we would get wisdom, wisdom that we would use wisdom to navigate life. Um, that we would simply be wise and not be foolish. Pretty straightforward. And really that both in our words and in our actions. That we would be wise, not foolish. And, and also really just to see, just simply see the value of wisdom and see that just in our minds contrasted with folly so that we can just evaluate our world a little bit, uh, a little bit better, the world around us. So be wise. Don't be foolish. And uh, so in this section we'll read uh, to that end. The writer is going to offer us anecdotes and reflections and observations and examples and uh, little proverbs, um, all of this to, to press and to reiterate this concern um, for uh, wisdom over folly. And um, so we're going to learn some things here about wisdom and folly. Uh, what might be some characteristics of wisdom and folly? What might they look like? How might they play out in different circumstances? Uh, and we're going to get that for just life generally. Um, but in some of the parts, too, the writer seems to have sort of a special concern for wisdom and folly as it relates to political leaders, uh, governing leaders. And so we'll get a little insight related to that as well. 
So, let's go ahead and we'll jump into the text here. And because this is such a long passage, and uh, really just sort of the, the way that it's laid out with this little, like I say, sort of observations, proverbs, reflections, sort of all these different uh, uh, ways of writing kind of shoved together. I'm going to do something a little bit different, uh, something that I don't normally do. Usually we sort of read the whole section and then go back and comment and, and, and speak to the message. What I want to do is just sort of read it section by section or, or part, by part, part by part, and then I'll comment uh, sort of along the way. So uh, we can uh, grab our Bibles and move that direction. Please pray with me first again. Lord, thank you for the opportunity here to be together, uh, to sit under your word. And I would just simply pray that you would open our hearts, you would open our minds to understand your word this morning, um, to help us to love your word, help us to walk in line with your word, uh, help us to, 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 to live well in light of your word. Um, and so I pray that you would set aside distractions and, and, and help us to focus in now. In Jesus' name, amen. So we'll press in here and we'll, we'll see what we can see uh, related to wisdom and folly. We'll look at chapter 9, first of all. Chapter 9, starting at verse 13 to the end of the chapter. Verse 13, I have seen this example of wisdom under the sun, the writer says. It seemed great to me. There was a little city with a few men in it, and a great king came against it and besieged it, building a great siege works against it. But there was founded in it a poor wise man, and he by his wisdom delivered the city. Yet no one remembered that poor man. But I say that wisdom is better than might. Though the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard. The words of the wise uh, uh, heard in quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. All right. Well, with this section, I, section here, I think the main uh, point really is simply verse 16. To simply say that wisdom is better than might. And that said differently in verse 18 again, wisdom is better than weapons of war. That's really the main point here, a relatively straightforward, and that sort of sets the tone then for uh, this section and, and, and all of it then on through uh, chapter 10. Wisdom is better than might, and that sort of hangs over this, this section. The value of wisdom being so great hangs over here, uh, this section all the way through chapter 10. And this wisdom, even from uh, a marginalized and a disrespected source, namely a poor man, his wisdom is better even than weapons of war. Uh, uh, power, weapons of war, useless without wisdom to guide them. And between the two, we want to choose wisdom every day. Wisdom is better than might. You can uh, I suppose you could set an, an orangutan down in front of a puzzle. Uh, this orangutan who's stronger than several of us put together. Uh, and that puzzle's not going to get finished anytime soon. Wisdom is better than might. And again, even from a poor man who's marginalized, who's despised in that context. And just thinking of this poor man for a second, related to wisdom... Let this point you to Jesus. Let this point you to Jesus. Philip Ryken 
says this uh, related to these verses. He says, one way to see the wisdom of Jesus is to see how he perfectly illustrates the story that the writer told here about a city that's saved by wisdom. The story is not a direct prophecy of Jesus, okay, but it is a fair analogy for his saving work. It's a fair analogy for Jesus' saving work. work. Uh, I think that's a great observation. Um, uh, A good observation. So let this section here, this section about a, a poor, wise man who saved the city, let that point you to Jesus, who was a poor man, who was in many ways despised. But he gave himself to this wise plan of God. He gave himself to this wise plan of God to save his people from their sin, save his people from the devil, save his people from the wrath of God, this huge uh, uh, siege work against his people. And he did this namely by dying on the cross and then rising up again from the dead, which ironically, uh, uh, in, in the, uh, this is perceived really as utter folly by sort of the, the worldly standards, uh, that this would be God's wise plan. What the, what the prevailing cultural worldview will say is folly. This is the exact thing that most incredibly, most amazingly expresses the wisdom of God. Namely, this plan of his to save his people through Jesus alone. Uh, in fact, if we are uh, going to get wisdom, if we're going to use wisdom to navigate life, and again, I think this is the sentiment of the writer here throughout this part of the book, um, if we're going to be wise, if we're going to take wise action, well then ultimately, we need to go to Jesus. All truly wise paths, truly wise, are connected to Jesus. Jesus himself says that he is greater than Solomon. Solomon, uh, who is known, of course, for his incredible wisdom. And Jesus has the audacity to say that he's greater than Solomon. Uh, 1 Corinthians 1.30, in fact, says that Jesus himself is the wisdom of God. Jesus in himself is wisdom from God. And Jesus actually said this. This is Matthew 7. Jesus said that anyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And anyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like the foolish man who built his house on the sand. So if if we're going to be truly wise, if we're going to be ultimately wise, we will go to Jesus. We will trust him. We will hear from Jesus And we will do what he says. That's wisdom of the highest order. And also, um, continuing to think about Jesus here. Uh, The fact that it it was a poor man who was the wise man in this story that the, the writer relates. A marginalized and a disrespected man. Let that remind us. Let this remind you that Jesus goes to the margins of our society. He goes to the prostitutes. Jesus goes to the poor man. Jesus goes to those who are affected by disability. He goes to the margins. And to all of those who for various reasons 
uh, might be considered unworthy to be part of God's kingdom at the margin. He goes to them and he blows the doors wide open and he says, come on in. Come on in. You are welcome here. There, there's nobody that is so far to the margins, for whatever reason that might be, that is somehow outside the reach of God's grace to come into his family through Jesus. No, no margin too far or dark that can sort of uh, extend beyond the grace of God in Jesus. In fact, James reminds us in the New Testament, uh, James 2, he says, Listen. My beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom? This kingdom which he has promised to those who love him. To those who love him. The kingdom of God, the family of God, the church is for anyone who loves Jesus. No matter how far to the margins uh, society might push you. It's open to those who love Jesus. It's promised for those who love Jesus, uh, James says. It's amazing good news. And we want to keep reading. So we'll move into the next section. Chapter 10 now, verses 1 through 7. Chapter 10, verse 1. Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench, and so a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. A wise man heart, heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. Even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense. And he says to everyone that he's a fool. If the anger of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your place. For calmness will lay great offenses to rest. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, as it were an error proceeding from the ruler. Folly is set in many high places, and the rich sit in a low place. I have seen slaves on horses and princes walking on the ground like slaves." Okay, so thinking here a little bit about uh, just verses 1 to 4. The dead flies here, making a stench in verse 1. It's probably uh, referring back to the, the foolish shouting ruler of chapter 9, verse 17. Also chapter 10, verse 5. You see the foolish ruler there again. I think really uh, these verses, uh, 1 through 7, they've got in mind, the writer has in mind wisdom and folly... But now he sort of has in the back of his mind, he's thinking wisdom and folly specifically related to uh, political and governing leaders. And this, this foolish ruler's folly here, the writer says, outweighs wisdom and honor that he and his land might otherwise enjoy. Um, so we might, say to say, might today say, one bad apple spoils the whole bunch, meaning... You, you, you've got a bad person or you have a bad policy or whatever. It can just ruin everything around it. So wisdom is better than might, but it is also vulnerable. Wisdom is vulnerable. Uh, wisdom is good, but uh, after there's a wise decision that maybe has been made, after wise actions perhaps have been taken, it's still possible for just a little bit of folly to creep in there and just destroy the thing. Um, and this is probably because, probably because wisdom and folly, they're just, it's oil and water. They just are completely diametrically opposed, like right and left. I can, I can think about how uh, sometimes I, you know, I might be building a, a tower with my, my kids' toy blocks, you know, and, and might spend some time with my kids, maybe 15 minutes, 20 minutes, putting in all this effort to build this tower up. I'm reinforcing it, you know, make sure that uh, it doesn't fall over. And then my three-year-old just thinks it would be fun 
They just knock it over. One second, right? In, in the span of one second, there's a decision and there's an action that just completely destroys this tower that we built. Uh, a little folly outweighs much wisdom. A more serious example, you, you know, you consider how long it would have taken to plan and to build the Twin Towers of the World Trade Center. And then how relatively quickly they came down. That is the destructive potential of folly. Just like that. Everything crumbles. And, and folly is especially dangerous, the writer would say, I think, when that folly resides in a ruler, in a leader of people. Verse 3, his heart, he has folly in his heart. His folly, it's not an occasional thing. This is, he's a fool at his core. And, and this is in his heart. And so as Jesus would say, uh, our, our behavior comes out of what's in our heart. This is true for the fool. And so he just goes from one bad decision to, a not, to, to another. One foolish decision after another. He's inclined to the left. And, and uh, then verse 4, there the writer gives some counsel. Uh, he gives some advice here to those who have to endure this foolish leader. Um, namely, stay calm. He says, stay calm. He's thinking probably of, of the king's court, uh, the officials in the king's court, uh, counselors to the king perhaps, maybe diplomats. And the wise action in this case is to stay calm. The Bible says that uh, a soft answer turns away wrath. Uh, or here, calmness will lay great offenses to rest. So don't fight fire with fire. Uh, the writer might be saying here, fight fire with water. Right? Don't, don't respond to anger with anger. Respond with calm. And perhaps de-escalate uh, the situation. Bring the temperature down in the room a little bit. Um, in any case, we, we learn something here about wisdom. Wisdom is calm. Folly is hot-headed. Folly is rash. Wisdom is calm. Wisdom is peaceable. So I guess it's a, it, it might beg the question as we learn that. Are you a hothead? Um, are, you, are you given to rash uh, decisions or rash actions? Are you, are you given to anger? Well, that's folly. It's foolishness. Uh, James 3.17 says wisdom is peaceable. Wisdom is gentle. Wisdom is open to reason. Open to reason. Then verses 5 to 7. Uh, there you see this foolish ruler again. He's doing foolish things. And in this case, he, he turns the social order upside down. And, and he puts fools like himself in positions of leadership. And so um, rather than having people who've been equipped for leadership, prepared, uh, maybe groomed for leadership, maybe have the resources to lead well, instead of putting them in leadership, he sets up fools. Or he sets up others who, just for whatever other reason, are simply ill-equipped and untrained for leadership. So, the, so, so really the folly here of the ruler is that he's, by doing that, he's essentially cutting off resources um, to do the most good for his land. He's not setting his land up well for success. All right, we'll, we'll, we'll keep reading now, verses 8 to 15. Excuse me as I take a drink of water. Verses 8 to 15 of chapter 10. 
see what else we can see about wisdom and folly. Verse 8, he, he who digs a pit will fall into it, and a serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. He who quarries stones is hurt by them, and he who splits logs is endangered by them. The, the iron is blunt, and one, uh, one does not sharpen the edge. He must use more strength, but wisdom helps one to succeed. If the serpent bites before it is charmed, there's no advantage to the charmer. Verse 12, the words of the wise man's mouth win him favor, but the lips of a fool consume him. The beginning of the the words of his mouth are foolishness, and the end of his talk is evil madness. A fool multiplies words, though no man knows what is to be, and who can tell him what will be after him? The toil of a fool wearies him, for he does not know the way to the city. Does not know the way to the city, probably an idiom simply meaning incompetence. He doesn't have the tools that he needs. So I would say the point of this section is basically to say that that wisdom is careful. Wisdom is patient. Uh, It thinks before it acts. It gets prepared. It works smarter, not harder. Uh, When the axe is dull, don't just keep chopping away. Stop. Pause. Think. Sharpen the axe. Work smarter not harder. And don't just rush into the job, but, but consider the dangers of the job. Consider the dangers of digging the, the, uh, the pit, or taking down the wall, or quarrying the stone, or splitting logs, or charming snakes as we have it here. Be careful. Be patient. Think before you act. Get prepared. Work smarter, not harder. Uh, I wonder if you're familiar with this uh, concept of situational awareness. You've heard that, that phrase, maybe, situational uh, awareness. The U.S. Coast Guard says this uh, uh, in, uh, in their context, situational awareness. Situational awareness is the ability to identify, process, and comprehend the critical elements of information about what's happening with regards to the mission. More simply, it's knowing what is going on around you. It's knowing what's going on around you. You know what that is? Wisdom. That's wisdom. That's wisdom. And uh, you've probably heard the saying, of course, fools rush in. Well, that's part of the, the sentiment here in these verses. Folly rushes in without thinking. Wisdom thinks before it acts. Folly is unprepared. Wisdom is patient and thinking and gets prepared. Keeping in mind potential dangers. Folly takes no interest in the impact sort of of the surroundings. Wisdom is situationally aware. And so it, wisdom works smarter and not harder. And then in light of uh, verse 15, which really connects into um, uh, verses 8 to 11, you kind of have the reverse of that, which is folly, and that will simply wear you out, right? The toil of the fool wearies him. Then verses 12 to 14. Um, If these previous verses had to do with wisdom and folly related to our actions, now these verses here have to do with wisdom and folly related to our speech, verses 12 to 14. So wisdom thinks before it acts. Well, wisdom thinks before it speaks as well. Um, So just like fools rush in, fools blurt out. And they just, they talk, and they keep talking. Um, So what started out simply foolish turns into just crazy talk, from foolish to madness, from maybe what started out kind of silly 
can, can morph into something with real potential for, destructive, for destruction. Real destructive potential. Evil madness. And the fool keeps talking. He multiplies his words, as verse 14 says, and he keeps talking about what he, re- he really knows nothing about. Uh, and, and for example, especially the future. No idea what the future holds. Keeps talking about it. Book of James. The book of James is sort of a, a New Testament version of wisdom literature, sort of a wisdom genre in the New Testament. And I think this is what James would say to this fool who's just going on and on about the future. James 4. Uh, he says, Come now, you who would say, Today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and we'll spend a year there, we'll trade, we'll make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then it vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, James says, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or do that. And that's really the deep heart attitude of the purest of wisdom. Pure wisdom. We'll say joyfully, we'll say with faith, if the Lord wills, we will live. We will live, period. And living will do this or will do that. That's the, that's the heart of wisdom. Wisdom acknowledges that God is. Wisdom acknowledges that God has purposes and plans and designs. And wisdom lives with deference to those purposes and designs of God. So the wise person knows that we don't know what tomorrow will bring. And so his attitude is, if the Lord wills, we will live and we will do this or we will do, uh, we will do that. The fool, on the other hand, essentially lives as if there is no God. Psalm 14.1, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. The fool lives functionally as if there is no God. And so he, he multiplies words, especially about the future, with no actual knowledge of the future, and with no deference to God who controls the future. This is, this is the fool. Folly and wisdom. Keep reading. Last few verses. Um, Verse 16 on to verse 20. Woe to you, O land, when your king is a child, and princes feast in the morning. Happy are you, O land, when your king is the son of the nobility, and your princes feast at the proper time, for strength and not for drunkenness. Through sloth the roof sinks in, and through indolence the house leaks. Bread is made for laughter, and wine gladdens life, and money answers everything. Even in your thoughts do not curse the king, nor in your bedroom curse the rich. For a bird of the air will carry your voice, or some winged creature will tell of the matter. So these verses again uh, come back to stress wisdom and folly. Again, I think specifically related to um, political leaders, governing leaders. Mark Twain once said, Suppose you were an idiot, pardon my French children, Suppose you were an idiot, and suppose you were a member of Congress, but I repeat myself. This is, my, this is Mark Twain. So verse 16, <laughs> sorry, Brett. Woe to you, O land, verse 16. Woe to you when your king is a child. In other words, childish, right? So not, not in the good sense of, uh, of, you know, Jesus saying have childlike faith, it's good to be childlike in many ways. But this is the bad childish. In other words, we might say 
unthinking, uh, impulsive, self-centered, and so on. Simply unwise. Okay, that's what's meant here. And woe to the land. Woe to the land with a fool for a king. Woe to a land whose king is a fool. There's a real danger for that land. There's, there's really a danger, for example, here, for the nation to fall apart. Uh, verse 18, the way that these verses are structured. Verse 18 sort of connects back to uh, verse 16, and it sort of expands the picture. The foolish leaders are lazy, and so they don't take care of the house. In other words, they don't take care of the kingdom. The house there, probably a metaphor for the kingdom. It's falling apart around them. It's, it's sinking in and it is leaking um, as they're off partying. Uh, Ecclesiastes 3 said that there's a time and there's a place for just about everything. In other words, there's a, there, there's a God-designed appropriate time and place and reason for things. And the foolish leaders here completely disregard that order. They disregard it. They disregard that design. And in their folly, they party. <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> excuse me. All right. They, they, they party hard. They're eating. They're drinking uh, at the wrong time and for the wrong reasons. And they're lazy to boot. And so, yes, woe to the land when your king is a fool. If your king is a fool, there's real danger that the kingdom will fall apart. Or at least sink in and, and leak a bit, so to speak. Now for our world today, and, and I don't mean to wax political here, just uh, connecting to current events, also connecting to uh, the feelings and the things that we can hear and feel in our neighborhoods. Just thinking here in light of the recent elections. Understand, just, just understand that there are plenty of people who deeply and honestly feel that Verse 16 is essentially talking about Donald Trump. They think Donald Trump is a fool. Um, even some who might actually agree, perhaps, with his policies, might even really love his policies, might even love the Republican Party platform, but even still they might feel truly this lament at the thought that Donald Trump in himself, as a man, is a fool. A lot of people feel that way. Uh, and I'm not really in any position, I don't think, right here, right now, in the pulpit to say one way or the other. But I would say that I think that's at least a legitimate question. And it's, an, it's, 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 it's understandable that people would be concerned in light of what this section tells us about what folly is like, tells us the danger of having a fool in leadership. And I know over the years, people could be legitimately concerned about lots of our, our leaders over the years. Woe to the land. Whether it's Israel, whether it's India, whether it's the United States, woe to that land who has a fool for a king or for a president. There's really a, there's a real possibility that uh, the country will, will, will sink in and it will leak under a fool's lead, whatever that might mean. And again, I just think that in our case, um, to, 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 to sort of help connect with our neighbors and co-workers at least we end with one another. We at least understand that in light of what we know of folly from this section and other parts of the Bible, um, there's at least understandable concern. But, as verse 14 reminds us, we don't know the future. We have no idea actually how the Trump administration is going to play out. None. We don't know the future. And so, uh, 
careful about multiplying words. Right? That's folly. To multiply words about the future. We don't know the future. We don't know how it's going to turn out. So pray for our leaders uh, to get hearts of wisdom. Pray for them. Pray for your own heart. Um, and, and, then, and then with whatever control you have over whatever space you have in your home, in your workplace, in your neighborhood, flood that space with wise actions. Flood that space with wise words. But, on a higher note, verse 17 goes on. Happy are you, O land, when your king is the son of nobility. That's good. When your king, in other words, is uh, wise. Uh, and then with verse 19, again, the way these verses are structured, I think verse 19 connects back to verse 17, sort of expands the picture there. And unlike the foolish king and the princes, the wise king and the princes, they understand God's timing and, and his, his, uh, his, the, the way he organizes time and, and, and place and reasons for different things. And they appreciate that order and they live according to that order. The wise ruler understands the, the purpose of food and drink and money and others of God's good gifts and he uses them accordingly. He doesn't use them for for gluttonous, drunken parties, but he uses them for recreation. He uses them for refreshment. He uses them for strength. Why? So he can lead his land well. So he can lead his land well. Folly turns it on its head. Turns it on its head. Folly says that we should work, preferably as little as possible. We should work so that we can supply ourselves for our parties on the weekend. Um... Wisdom says, no, we should party on the weekend so that we can be refreshed and energized and strengthened for the work week ahead. Folly works essentially to be supplied with food and drink for the weekend party. Wisdom enjoys the weekend party so that, he is, so that it is supplied with strength for productive work in the week ahead. And so, again, woe to you, O land, whose king is a fool, but happy are you, O land, when your king is wise, especially in these ways. And actually, if happy is the land whose king is wise, and I say happy are we. Happy are we. And you, you probably realize I'm not talking about the United States. I'm talking about the kingdom of God. I'm talking about the church. Regardless of who is in the White House, regardless of who is in Congress, happy are we. Uh, Acts 26. Uh, Acts 26 uh, points to the fact that as we trust in Jesus for it, we have the forgiveness of our sins and we get placed into uh, uh, this, this people of other people who have been forgiven of their sins. This people who are being sanctified by faith in Jesus. We get forgiveness of our sins and we get put into the community of others who are forgiven of their sin. And this community is not just another social club, but it's an, it's an alternate society. It, it, it's an alternate, it's a, it's a nation within this nation. First Peter 2 calls the church exiles, a, a holy nation. We're, a, we're an alternate to society that's open to anyone who would trust in Jesus, anyone who would love Jesus, anyone who would follow Jesus. And as this exiled nation, we have a king, and his name is Jesus. And if ever there was a son of nobility, it's Jesus. If ever there was a wise ruler, it is Jesus. And so happy are you, O church. Really, happy are we. Because Jesus, the wisest of wise rulers, the wisdom of God himself, 
is our king. And I think this is one of the reasons why the church um, it, it should be one of the happiest of communities on earth. Happiest because our king is the wisest. Happiest because our king is the wisest. So we learned some things here about wisdom and folly throughout this whole part of Ecclesiastes. We get a picture of its value over and against folly. So, reminder, file these things away. Wisdom is better than might. Wise action is patient. It's careful. The wise person thinks before he acts. The wise person thinks before he speaks. He gets prepared and he works smarter, not harder. Folly rushes in without thinking. Folly is unprepared. Folly takes no interest in the impact of its surroundings. To be wise is to be situationally aware. The wise person understands that we don't know what tomorrow will bring, and so his attitude is, if the Lord wills, we will live, and we will do this or that. The fool multiplies words, especially about the future, with no actual knowledge of the future, and no deference to God who controls the future. Folly is hot-headed, and it's rash. Wisdom is calm. Wisdom is peaceable, and it's open to reason. Wisdom acknowledges that God is, and that he's got plans, and he's got purposes, and he's got designs. He's organized timing, and a place, and reasons for all things. And the wise person acts in line with those designs. Again, his heart is, his whole attitude is, if the Lord wills, we will live, and we will do this, or we will do that. The fool is just oblivious to the Lord's will, um, or maybe he evenly, even purposely opposes his will. He lives as if there is no God. Folly works for the weekend. Wisdom enjoys the weekend to be refreshed for productive work in the week ahead. And, and just in light of all of this, again, with all this said, the natural application here uh, is that we would be wise. Be wise. Don't be a fool. Be wise. So learn from all of this, these descriptors of wisdom and folly, and live in a way that reflects this wisdom. Live in a way that reflects what we see this section calling, uh, telling us wisdom is like, and avoid the pitfalls of folly. Um, not rocket science here. That's basically the, 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 the main application point here. Understand what wisdom is and be wise. Use wisdom to navigate life. And as we do that, though, remember, remember that wisdom culminates in Jesus himself. And so I quoted Jesus earlier. I'm going to do it again, Matthew 7. Jesus said that everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on a rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't do them is like the foolish man who built his house on the sand. And so if we're going to be truly wise, if we're going to be ultimately wise, we will go to Jesus. We will trust Jesus. We will hear from Jesus. And we will do what Jesus says. That is wisdom. That's wisdom that our, literally our lives should be built on. And then remember too, just at any point, uh, you know, these kinds of sermons where the application is sort of this, just go do this thing, yeah, just go be wise. I mean, okay, well, thanks. Um, but we're going to fall on our faces as soon as we walk out the door. I'm going to do something foolish probably before uh, we, we all leave this building. So as you're pursuing wisdom, as you're trying to hear Jesus and do what Jesus says, just remember that any point, at any point where you act the fool, now if you're in Christ, you are no fool. 
not deep down, not at your core identity, who you are. You are not a fool. But you might act like a fool sometimes. I know I certainly do. We do foolish things. But at any point where we fall short of, of, uh, of this wisdom that the writer would call us to, just take heart and remember that if we're trusting in Jesus, as I mentioned before from 1 Corinthians 1.30, then Jesus is for us the very wisdom of God. Jesus is for us the very wisdom of God. So we can trust that. Um, let's pray. Lord, thank you for, uh, again, for the chance to have just stepped through um, this part of Ecclesiastes, kind of a, a strange grouping of proverbs and reflections and different things. Um, but I thank you for the guidance through it. And uh, I simply pray that you would help us to um, understand what is wisdom and uh, be given the power to step out in life with wisdom, to be wise, ultimately to hear from you, Jesus, and to do what you say. And then we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.